Turn your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Book of Genesis, chapter 37. As you're turning there, what did the one cannibal say to the other cannibal when they were eating a clown? Hey, buddy, does that taste funny to you? You know, the, the news has been conflicting on whether or not we're in a recession. So uh, I've been researching how to breed fast racing deer. You know, with these prices, just trying to make a quick buck. Quick buck, Harley. All right. <laughs> Watch those snappers. Amen. Today we're going to continue uh, where we picked up last week as we started our uh, journey into the life of Joseph, a life that is at the least inspirational, um, but I would classify it as absolutely remarkable. Now, a couple things that, that we need to remember as, as we go through this study. God gives us two important pieces of scripture. First is in Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 4. He says, for whatever things were written before, he's talking about the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, may have hope. Then we also see in, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. Now, these things became our example, these things, all that we see in the Bible, all the biographies of those that lived before us, all the uh, faithful men and women recorded in God's word. He says, now these things became our examples. You know, God, God gave us those biographies of those lies for examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonish, uh, admonition, for our warning, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we should always be mindful of, of these couple verses when reading the Bible, when studying the Bible. God details these lives recorded in the Bible, and he tells us in these verses for three main reasons. Number one, to teach us, to instruct us. Secondly, to admonish us, to warn us. And thirdly, to give us hope. And when we talk about hope, that's always talking about our future. Amen? So it's to teach us, to warn us, and also to encourage us, to give us hope for our future. So Joseph's family was full of trouble, full of heartache, as we, as we saw last week. As we were introduced to the family. His father, Jacob, was a very passive father. He failed to address any problems that would rise within his family. So let's, let's do a, a, just some quick math here real quick. One husband, one father, four wives, four mothers, 12 sons, and one daughter. These all add up to jealousy, anger, deceit, and a lot of family secrets. Amen? We saw the tragedies that befell that family, Jacob's family, as they traveled to Canaan. 
Jacob's daughter, Dinah, she's raped. She's defiled. And Jacob does nothing. Rachel, his beloved wife, dies giving birth to his son, Benjamin. His son, Reuben, his oldest, sleeps with one of his wives, Bilhah. Again, Jacob does absolutely nothing. So, as we saw, they were entering into, they were heading to Canaan when all these tragedies befell them. And in chapter 35, as, as that chapter comes to an end, they finally reach the land of Canaan, the, the land of his father, the land that he wanted to return to now that he you know, finally had his wife, Rachel, the one that he loved. He, he finally had his sons, and he wanted to head back to his, uh, to his father and to the land of his father, the land of Canaan. So in Genesis chapter 35, guess what happens when he finally reaches Canaan? Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre. That is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and he died, and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Jacob finally comes home, finally goes back to the land of Canaan, the promised land, and not long after he gets there, what happens? His father dies. He and his brother have to bury their father in Canaan. The reoccurring theme that, that, that really stands out as we've been looking into the family of Joseph is how passive Jacob was as a father and as a husband. He chose not to get involved in his children's lives. He chose not to correct them when they misbehaved. He chose to do nothing when action was desperately needed. And now we're seeing all the consequences that come from that passivity, being a passive dad. So let's pick up back in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and he, had with, uh, and he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Jacob, J Joseph brought a bad rapport of them to his father. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age. Also, he made him a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Look, 
I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So just a little introduction into the life of Joseph. And, and right in verse 3, most of us are very familiar with Joseph and the coat of many colors. And that coat of many colors was not just a simple coat. We need to understand the significance of this coat. It was a very long-sleeved, full-length coat. Not one that you would normally see in this part of the country. This type of coat was generally set aside for those in authority. Those who had great authority. It was a glaring reminder of Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph over all of his other sons and daughters. Joseph was also excused from most of the hard labor in the field. What's the result? Well, we see it right there in verse 4. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably to him. Deep hatred. They couldn't even talk friendly amongst themselves. The hatred was so deep. This is the type of home that these brothers were raised in. Day after day, they resented their father's favoritism of Joseph. And it shows. Now, on top of all this, we read here that Joseph also had a dream. As if the favoritism wasn't enough. If the coat of many colors wasn't enough. These dreams would certainly push those brothers over the edge. Verse 5. Joseph tells his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around, and they bowed down to my sheaf. What was their reaction? And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. But he wasn't even finished. Verse 9. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Not only did his dream show his brothers bowing down, but now he has this additional dream where the sun and the moon bowed down to him. Now the sun and the moon represent his mother and his father. So not only do his brothers bow down to him in this dream, but now his own father and his own mother bow down to him. Verse 10. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But what does Jacob do? But his father kept the matter in mind. 
His brothers were enraged. They hated him already, and now that rage was just boiling over. But his father, what does he do? Nothing again. The Bible tells us he just simply kept it in mind. Once again, he sees this, this conflict within his family. He sees these brothers pitted against each other, and he keeps his silence. He fails to address the conflict. He remains a passive father. Look at verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. So the brothers go out to tend the sheep. But notice it didn't say anything about Joseph. Joseph's not made to go and help. Verse 13. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to his father, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers, and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now, Shechem, after we had our introductory uh, introduction into Joseph's life last week, should stand out. Shechem is the same city in which his sister Dinah, Jacob's daughter, was raped. It's the same city that his sons slaughtered all the men to avenge their sisters, defiling. Jacob feels uneasy. His, his sons are out in Shechem, in the fields in Shechem, that, that same city that they slaughtered all the men. So he feels a little uneasy, and he decides the, the best thing to do is send Joseph to go check on those other sons. Joseph, the object of their hatred, the one they put a massive bullseye on, he decides to send to check up on them, to go and to supervise them, to see how they're doing, to, to bring back a rapport on them, how they're doing out in the field. I don't know about you, but that's just like sticking your head in the alligator's mouth to me. Amen? But that's what this father decides was the best plan. Let's see how it goes. Let's skip down to verse 18. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said one to another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. They see Joseph coming, you know, this, wearing that coat of many colors, that reminder of his, his, his father's favoritism. And they say, look, it's daddy's boy. It's the dreamer. He's, he's coming out to check on us. And they hate him so much that they come up with a plan. They, they decide that they just absolutely want to kill him. Do away with him. Verse 21. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. And he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, and bring him back to his father. 
Now remember, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. He's the, he's the oldest in the family. And Reuben probably felt some type of, of responsibility for the family, being that he was the oldest. And thankfully, the other brothers respected him, and they listened. Look at verse 23. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his coat, the coat of many colors that was on him. Then they took him, and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. These brothers had no remorse whatsoever. They grabbed their brother. They stripped him of that coat of many colors. And they just threw him in this pit in the middle of the desert with no water. And then what'd they do? And they were hungry. Sat down and had some lunch. They didn't give it a second thought. They just sat down and ate. Not one whatsoever. Can you see the consequences of being absent parents? The absolute consequences that have struck this entire family. A passive dad who chose time and time again to do nothing when conflicts arise. Mothers who are nowhere to be found. In all that we've read, we've not seen one response from the mothers. Four moms, right? Four wives, four mothers, not one response. Completely absent. Children left to themselves, left on their own, left to try to figure things out by themselves. And the sad thing is, this family mirrors many families today. Amen? So many children today are, are raised and, and in homes with absent moms and dads. Left to themselves just like these children's were. No boundaries, no correction, and no direction. Amen? None whatsoever. The numbers are staggering. About 50% of all marriages today end in divorce. And that number would be a lot higher. The only reason it's only at 50% is because more people choose not to get married. They just live together. But that number would probably be up closer to 70%. 60% of all second marriages end in divorce. Four out of ten children are raised by a single parent, and that is usually a single mom. Parents today, we are failing our children. Amen? We have too many dads that live a life. They may not speak it with their tongue, but they live a life that says that their job or their career is more important than their family. Making money is more important than their family. Their image is more important than their family. We saw Jacob have that same attitude with his daughter when, when she was raped. He was more worried about what the, what the town would think of him when his brothers went and avenged her defiling. Friends are more important than family. Hobbies, going out and doing whatever they want, is more important than spending time with their families. Moms who've adopted that women's lib and the ideology that children will not bring me down attitude today. Looking at a, a stay-at-home mom as being below them. 
who say that being a housewife is degrading, who try to be head of the house over their husbands, and who's stuck in the middle of it all? Our children. Our children. Left to themselves by selfish parents, left to try to raise themselves, to try to figure things out, to try to find their, their own direction. When I read through this scripture, when I see brothers full of en- envy, full of hatred, to the point where they want to kill their own brother, driven to that point, driven to the edge, driven to rip the coat off their own brother and, and tell their dad that he'd been killed by a wild animal. It's not brothers who are mad at Joseph. I see brothers who are mad at their mom and their dad. I see brothers who are enraged at their parents. Brothers who would do anything to be loved equally by their dad. Brothers who just want a dad in their life. Where were you when our own sister was raped? Where were you when our brother was sleeping with your wife? Where were you when we needed direction, when we needed help, when we needed support, when we needed a hug? Where were you? Brothers who were mad at their absent mothers, just simply, where were you? That's what I see when I, when I read through these accounts of Joseph and his, and his interactions with his brothers, and we see the way his dad and his mom reacted, or their lack of reaction. Moms and dads, our children, our grandchildren, they need us in their lives. They need boundaries. They need correction. And they need direction. Amen? What, do, what does all that let them know? All those things. You know, we, we were all teenagers, right? We never liked when our parents corrected us. We never liked when mom and dad gave us boundaries and, and gave us a curfew. But deep down, we knew that it told us one thing, that they cared about us, that they loved us. Otherwise, they would just let us do whatever we wanted. Amen? That's what correction, that's what boundaries, that's what direction tells our children. It lets them know how much we care for them. It lets them know that we truly do love them. And that's why we want to protect them. You know, as teenagers, we didn't see it that way. But as we got older, we figured it out. Finally, it finally sunk in. But above all, they also need godly role models. Amen. They need to see it in us. I want to close with with three important points. Number one, no no family is problem-free. Amen? You know, we may see TV shows or, or different things that model this perfect family. There's no such thing. Amen? Every single family is dysfunctional, period. Why? Because we're all sinners. There's no perfect family. Amen. 
No family is problem-free. Every family is unique. Every family is different. Every family comes in different sizes and, and unique circumstances. But one thing is for sure. We all have to deal with family struggles. We all have to deal with family issues. We all have to deal with family heartaches. Amen. That is the one thing that we do all have in common. Plain and simple. Every family is dysfunctional in some form or way. Secondly, no enemy is more subtle than being passive. No enemy is more subtle than being passive. Passive parents avoid conflicts. They avoid trying to, to deal with issues. That is, until it builds up, and then they just explode in anger. Amen? Have we seen it before? Sure we have. It's ugly. It doesn't accomplish anything except putting a wedge between you and your children. Amen? It only pushes our children away from us. They start to become angry, defiant, full of hatred. Others may just avoid conflicts at all costs, like Jacob did. Jacob never even got to the point where he exploded. He just avoided everything, avoided every conflict. But the bottom line, the end result, the consequences are the same no matter what type of passive parent you've become. The results are the same. Thirdly, lastly, no response is more cruel than jealousy. Amen? Jealousy will spark the most cruelest response between people. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, he said jealousy is as cruel as as the grave. Amen? Jealousy is, if it's not dealt with, it will absolutely divide and destroy a family. Absolutely, completely divide and destroy an entire family. And parents, moms and dads, we have to be able to recognize it in our children. Amen? We have to be able to see it in our children and deal with it. We have to make sure that we don't show favoritism. Make sure that we don't, we don't treat one different than the other to stir up that jealousy. The jealousy that leads to hatred. Amen? I don't want to end on negativity, so on a positive note, Make sure you praise your children. Amen? Moms and dads, we need to praise our children often. We need to praise them in abundance, and we need to praise them equally. Amen? We need to praise them far more than we correct them. Let's praise them for the smallest, tiniest accomplishment. That's what our children are looking for. I remember my... Little girls, you know, they take gymnastics. They learn how to do a little flip. Dad, dad, look, look. Dad, dad, watch, watch. Constantly. They were just looking for praise. 
Amen. And we need to give them that praise, just even for the smallest accomplishment. Praise them often, praise them in abundance, and praise them equally. It's time to take our family back.